0: Thank you for inviting me back. I know it was only because Jill travels with me usually, uh, but I really appreciate the opportunity of just talking to you about the great events of Easter Day. I've always found the, the stories associated with the resurrection a huge challenge, because you will remember that when the disciples heard this great news, they didn't believe And You know, it seems to me that that's entirely natural. If I said to you today that one of your best friends who died a week while ago I'd met on the street out there, you'd probably certify me and send me to a, a, a psychiatrist. So as we look at these stories, I really want you to approach it from that point of view. We're going to read both this morning and this evening in Luke chapter 24. And we're going to look at the, verse, the first 12 verses uh, this morning and then at the latter verses this evening. So, Luke 24, from verses 1 through 12. The words should be on the screen. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Amazing, really, isn't it? And just so challenging, as I mentioned earlier. You know, it it seems to me frequently that the Lord says to my heart, do you really believe that I'm alive? Because when we pray to him, we need to recognize his immediacy. When we're in trouble, we need to recognize his immediacy. We were thinking earlier in in the prayer time in the back room of a little phrase when the Lord Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I am with you all the way, even to the end of the age. And if we're believers today, we need to recognize that when you get up in the morning, he's there. When you're asleep, he's there, just as well sometimes. The whole of our lives is encompassed by the reality of the living Christ. Christ. And so I I count it a great privilege to be able to recount this story again and trust that those of you who may be here and are struggling with belief may recognise the necessity for faith. And for those of of us who are getting to know the Lord day by day, that will recognise his closeness in a fresh way this morning. I want to speak just very briefly about the women that are so key to this particular story We look at verse 10 initially, and uh, I know that the words will appear on the screen in just a moment. You'll notice that Luke, Luke is very careful. He's writing to a Greek who's called Theophilus. You find his name in the first chapter of Luke and in the first chapter of Acts. And he's writing to him in order to prove to him the things that are believed by Christians. And he writes these two books in order to enumerate the reality of the Lord's presence here on earth and then what happened after he went back to heaven in the book of the Acts and how his disciples carried on the work. So he's very accurate here in describing who these women were. You'll notice in verse 10, Mary Magdalene, this woman who knew the Lord so well and out of whom the Lord had cast seven demons. Joanna, who was the wife of one of the stewards of King Herod, a guy called Chusa, not spelled the way you would think, C-H-U-Z-A, but this woman who had been touched somehow by the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary, the mother of James, who is also Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus the others, there were other Marys and others we find in the other Gospels, who were with them, who went back to the apostles and they told them what they had seen and what they had heard. And the immediate reaction of these men who had known the Lord Jesus well and who had heard his teaching again and again and who had been told frequently during the last six months of his life by the Lord himself what was going to happen, when they heard what the woman said, the scripture is very accurate, isn't it? They didn't believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Now, gentlemen, you be very careful. Because the woman were telling the absolute truth. And as they came back to these men who purported to know the Lord so well, What they said and the fulfillment of the Lord's teaching itself seemed to them like nonsense. Nonsense. It didn't make sense. Men don't rise from the dead. Crucified dead men don't rise from the dead. They were absolutely certain about the death of Christ. And very often when you're talking to the man on the street, so-called, they may well know something about the death of Christ and have no problem believing the fact that he died. But when you talk to folk about the resurrection, they begin to wonder, is this guy talking sense? This makes perfect Sense, And I hope to prove that to you just in the next few minutes. Very early in the morning. I think Jonathan was boasting a little about saying how early he had been up today. But that's only because they're not allowed to sleep because of Gideon, so don't take any real notice of it. But, you know, this whole question of, of engaging with the tomb of Christ very early in the morning is a remarkable thing. A group of women going to a tomb which they knew was guarded by 16 Roman soldiers. Going to a tomb bearing spices because they were absolutely certain that they were going to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. Committed to that particular task in the dark. Would you do it? an expression of their love to the Lord which puts us men to shame and puts the apostles to shame. Big, brave men who ran away whenever Christ was arrested in the tomb, in the garden. But when he's placed in the tomb, it's the woman who come immediately after the Sabbath, which is the force of the words, very early in the morning, And they come in the darkness to this tomb guarded by 16 Roman soldiers. They found the stone rolled away. They had been debating, we discover from other Gospels, how they were going to move the stone in order that they could anoint the body of Jesus. But when they got there they found the tomb the tomb was, was, vacant, was vacant to them they were able to enter we discover from other gospels that the Roman soldiers were as dead men they were incapable of response at this particular time in their experience when they were supposed to be guarding the tomb and the stone had been rolled away why? Who Moved the Stone? you ever read the book? Written by a fellow called Morrison, a sceptical lawyer who began writing the book in order to prove that Christ had not risen from the dead. And he writes it from that point of view. If you ever see Who Moved the Stone and you're sceptical by it, you'll probably get it for about 10p in a bookshop. One of the best books ever written. Because what Morrison discovered as he began to explore the reality of the death of Christ that he discovered that the story of the resurrection was the best attested fact in human history at this time. More witnesses to it, more proof for it than the fact that Julius Caesar ever landed in Britain in BC 54. You see... The proof is here, and as Morrison began to explore the testimony of those who had were witnesses to the resurrection, he was forced to the inevitable conclusion that Jesus Christ had indeed risen from the dead. And because of that, in the writing of the book, the skeptical lawyer became a Christian, because that's the challenge of the resurrection. If Jesus Christ be just a man, then ignore him. But if Jesus Christ be God manifest in flesh, then believe in him. Come and trust him with your life. Recognize that this doesn't happen to ordinary men and women. Why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? So that witnesses could see into it. It wasn't to let Jesus out was to let the witnesses in. And notice what the scripture says. While they were wondering about this, having entered the tomb and not finding the body of the Lord Jesus, while they were wondering about it, in other words, they hadn't any immediate <laughs> revelation, two men were with them, and in their fright the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look or why do you seek for the living among the dead? I praise God that there's no tomb of Christ for me to worship at. I know many will go to a graveyard out of thanksgiving for those they had once known. But you don't find much comfort in a graveyard. But I tell you, if you come to the empty tomb this morning, you will find your life transformed as you come to a knowledge of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus why seek the living among the dead? It seems a harsh word in a way. But it's absolutely to the point. There's no point coming to anoint anointed body when it's not there. Yeah? There's no point in getting your head uh, sort of involved with a death when the one that you're mourning is alive. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. You don't find him in a tomb. He is not here. He is risen. Don't look so pleased about it. (laughs) He is risen. Whenever the Lord Jesus appears to the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, the story is recounted in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter one, the Lord says this to John. He said, "I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive for evermore. That's why you and I can trust Christ today. He who died for you lives for you. He who shed his blood in order to make a covering for our sin." invites you and I to join him in this endless life, invites you and I to get to know him, to continue to get to know him forever. Because one of the reasons eternity exists is because God himself is eternal and infinite. And if you and I are ever going to get to know the infinite God, then we have to live eternally. That's good Irish logic, isn't it? And the reality of this whole business of the eternal life of Christ, of recognizing that he is the one who was dead and is alive forevermore, is that it brings joy and substance to our life here and forever beyond the grave. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. And then these two men say to the ladies, Remember remember they expected to find the body of the Lord there but they were challenged by the words of these two and they said listen he's not here and if you remember you will understand why he's not here this is why the eternal word of God is so important you know we need to have the awareness that that which they the Lord said is fact it will be so And this is what they they remind them of. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, and they quote exactly from what the Lord said to them, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And just as he was delivered into the hands of sinful men by an unlawful trial, and was crucified uh, when he shouldn't ever have even been condemned in order to fulfill the purpose of God, so actually will he be raised again. It has to be. That which was said and that which he said has already been fulfilled. And you and I need to have faith in the word of the Lord Jesus. We need to remember. And I find the challenge as I get older is remembering. You know, sometimes now when I'm preaching, I can't get the exact words which I used to know so well by heart. I don't think I'm becoming senile, but if I ever sense that, let me know. But, you know, this whole reality is the fact of my living. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ initially because the Word of God makes the statements it does about him. And as he fulfilled the word in himself, so I believe his word when he talks to me from his word and brings the reality of his presence to me by faith. And it's not a mystery. It's about remembering. It's about recognizing what Jesus said about himself. And the scripture is absolutely clear. He must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. It is absolutely essential that he dies for you and me on a cross. It is part of the ongoing purpose of God for, for him to die in Christ so that I might be made alive in Christ. And that's why there's one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for the many. And that's what it's about. That's what Easter's about. It's about this living Christ becoming part of our experience. And then the scripture says in verse 8, Then they remembered his words. Then. And suddenly in the remembering, for these dear women, it makes sense. The stupidity of the disciples is that they didn't remember. They assumed And that's why I said, you know, men are supposed to be rational beings. I sometimes question it. Because we act irrationally so often. And as I finish, I want to look at what happens when these dear ladies go back and they talk to the men. You'll notice, first of all, in verse 11. Thanks, Kevin. Verse 11. They did not believe the woman. They didn't believe Let's be absolutely clear about who these women were. I touched on it at the beginning in order to put the framework into our minds. Mary Magdalene, she'd been with the disciples for at least two years. They recognized the fact that Christ had delivered her. They were aware of how close she was to the Lord Jesus. Joanna, this woman who had left everything, the wife of one of Herod's stewards, So they knew her well. Her name's mentioned again and again in the Scriptures. Mary, the mother of James, the mother of the Lord himself. They knew her. Why would you disbelieve? That's weird, isn't it? Almost everything Jill says to me I believe, except when she tells me how stupid I am and various (laughs) other things. You know. I believe her because she's my wife, and I trust her. Why would they not believe? you men know, don't you? Doesn't make sense to me, therefore, I'm not going to believe it. I've talked to men all my life, part of the ministry the Lord has given me, and I find their disbelief incredible, unbelievable. I've told you about Frank Foster. Let me tell you about dear Frank again. I used to play golf with him in Ferndown years and years ago. And Frank was a very, very intelligent man. And he used to constantly tease me. And when I went to play most Tuesday mornings at Ferndown, he would say to me, Peter, were you preaching at the weekend? And I would say, yes. What were you preaching about? And I would tell him, you know, whatever passage of scripture I happened to be preaching about, because I was preaching in one of the local churches on a regular basis. And he would always say to me, do you still believe all that stuff? And I said to him one day, Frank, I believe it with all my heart. I said, why do you not believe it? I said, I don't believe any of it. And I said, well, what parts of the Bible have you read? He said, I haven't read any of it, but I don't believe any of it. That's male logic. I mean, I recognize it. Unless I do it myself, Regardless of what most people say to me, I won't believe it. I want to challenge you men this morning who are here. If you think you don't believe, in the Lord's name will you read and see what the scripture actually says. I can't believe that. What are you women talking about? There's no body there? Are you daft? We know that Nicodemus and Joseph put him in the tomb. He must be there. He's dead. No, he's not. But he's dead. But 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 he's not because the body's not there, and we were told he's risen. But 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 but. Look what follows. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. It looks very careful at what he says here. And actually that translation is not terribly helpful. Because what Peter saw was that the napkin which had been around the Lord's head. And if you've ever seen an Egyptian mummy, you have some idea of how they... The Jews prepared the bodies for burial. They wrapped each limb separately, and then they wrapped the body, the torso in a separate bit of cloth and then they put a napkin around the head. So if you looked into the tomb, the form of the of the body would have been evident within the the bandages the linen bandages in which the body was wrapped. What Luke says here is that the linen clothes were undisturbed in the sense that they hadn't been unwrapped. They were still in their foldedness. But the body wasn't there. The greatest proof in the physical sense of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus are these linen clothes. Let's say you were going to steal the body. You've got Roman guards around the place and you manage to get the stone rolled away and they haven't seen you. What are you going to do if you're going to steal the body? You're going to get it out of there as quick as possible, aren't you? Grave clothes and all. Of course you are. Whenever the Lord Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and you can read the story further on in the Gospel of John, Whenever he came out of the tomb, he was bound, the scripture says, hand and foot with grave clothes. Yeah? And the Lord said to those around, loose him and let him go. Unwind the linen clothes and and let him go. That would have been the normal thing which was necessary to happen. But it wasn't necessary here because the Christ was resurrected without disturbing the grave clothes which bound him. And that becomes evident in his future experience with the disciples. You discover on the evening of this day he appears amongst them, even though the doors were locked. You understand? The body had different properties to that which was laid in the tomb. It was recognizable, it was marred, it had the nail prints, but are different properties to the one which is laid in the tomb. You get a clue of that, incidentally, in relation to First Corinthians 15. Those of you who are interested in what sort of body you're going to have when you rise from the dead. But that's another story. So here is the Savior departing the linen clothes without disturbing them. And walking on on the power of this endless life. To appear to Mary Magdalene, to bring the immediacy of his presence to his disciples, to meet a man who refused to believe even when the others believed. And Thomas incidentally wasn't doubting. The scripture never calls him doubting. The scripture calls him faithless. He was a man, a disciple without faith. Faith because he would not believe. The scripture actually says, unless I put my finger into the wounds, unless I thrust my hand into his side, Thomas says, I will not believe. Even though the other ten disciples had said to him, we've seen the Lord. Thomas said, I'm going to believe. Are you like that this morning? Somehow or other, ingrained in our manliness, this nonsense that we call manliness, there's a lack of faith. Men are extremely difficult to bring to faith. And yet the early followers of the disciples were men. We've got cynical. We've lost the vibrancy of recognizing the possibility of meeting with the risen Christ. How daft are we? You know, if I said to you... Um, I don't know if you saw a programme the other day with Richie McCaw and Michael Atherton. You may have done. Richie McCaw took Michael Atherton and David Lloyd and one or two other fellows for a helicopter ride in New Zealand uh, just before this test match started. And he was talking about the all-blacks and and so forth, one of the most famous of the all-black captains, vibrant athlete. But he was absolutely... There, I use the term "natural." He had no airs or graces about him. He was just a normal man. And as I went to bed last night, I was thinking, I'd really love to talk to Richard McCaw about the resurrected Christ. As I speak to you men this morning, if you're not a Christian, it's time you were, and you have the evidence of more than 2,000 years of church history to demonstrate the fact that Christ must be alive. Because if he's not alive, it's impossible for the church to exist. If Christ be not risen, we are of all men most miserable. But now, Christ is risen from the dead. Time to come to faith. Let's rejoice in Him as we give thanks. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we thank You for the disbelief of the disciples. We thank You that they recognized as they met the Lord ongoingly that His resurrection was real and that Christ is alive and that their proclamation. As they began to preach in the book of the Acts, the proclamation that they preached was always that of a resurrected Christ. We thank you for the transformation in them and the coming of the Spirit and their awareness that you are alive and alive forevermore. And as men and women this morning, Father, we want to bear witness to the Lord Jesus. We want to talk to others about it, and we ask that you'll help us today and other days this week just to share something of our faith And our blessed Lord, that men and women may begin to recognize that the missing link in their life is not an evolutionary missing link, but a link with you. And We pray in your grace that you will minister in your resurrected power to the church and the church that is yet to be in this generation for the glory of your name. Amen.